Welcome to the Dear White Women podcast, the show that helps white women use their privilege to uproot systemic racism. We are your biracial hosts, Sarah and me, Sasha. So Sarah, I've been reflecting more about this work that we do, that we are all involved in, right? And how sometimes there's this feeling of heaviness that comes along with it, that, you know, it feels unbearable at times. Yeah. Hello, best friend of 25 years. Have you not gotten my texts of late? Like, I feel like I have been in the thick of the goo, as Jamie Myers of Shine Life Design has told us recently. But I have been exploring what I need to make it more bearable. And that goes beyond the lovely candle that I just lit on my desk to make it feel better. (laughs) I love that you talk about the candle. So along those lines, right, I want to ask something different this week than what we typically, you know, start our episodes with. What is one thing that has brought you joy recently? (laughs) Joy? What's joy? I I don't remember joy. I don't know. Do you all remember joy? What the fuck is that? Okay. (laughs) Pre-COVID, I might've had a different answer and I'm sorry for the swear word there. But, you know, one of the things I learned this weekend on that workshop that we did was that I think what I've done recently during COVID was to always be like, but I'm so lucky. I'm so fortunate. You know, we've been affected by the pandemic. Our family income has been affected. We've had challenges with our kids. You know, there's just been a lot as with everybody during COVID, but I kept trying to look for the positive and then be like, but we're okay. We're okay. We're okay. But what that led me to do was like numb out and not allow myself to actually feel the grief for sort of the loss of the normal that we went through before, like there that we used to have before. And so what we learned this weekend was like, if I'm not allowing myself to feel the grief, there's a very high chance I'm not feeling the joy. And so what I have been working on lately and paying more attention to is giving myself relief, like that moment or two and allowing myself to feel the sadness in order to get ready to feel the joy again. And I feel really good about having taken time to do stuff like meditate or write down some stuff and like really appreciate the shit that I've been through, that we have all been through as a family and then as a society so that hopefully I can remember because I, you really am one of the most goofy people I know. I do a lot of really silly stuff on the regular and I have a lot of joy in my life somewhere deep inside and I'm really ready to peel back the layers and and rediscover it again. So that was probably way more information than you wanted. How are you doing, my friend? I love that. First of all, the like grief and joy being on opposite ends, but in order to feel one, you need to feel the other. And I think that's something that we so overlook because we're focused on trying to find joy but not understanding. I feel like it's like the color wheel or whatever, you know, like the opposites and you need the opposites to make it work. Or maybe it's not at all like the color wheel, but um, (laughs) that worked in my head for a second. (laughs) Anyway, your look was kind of like, "Mm, really? That's all you got? Are you an interior designer? (laughs) Are you like, I mean, you're a woman who wears like beige and black, like you don't wear colors. So you you might not understand. (laughs) Okay. Those are colors. Okay. They're just not bright colors. All right. Neutrals give me joy. No. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which is true. Neutrals do give me joy. But so how you do it on the joy grief balance then? Are you just living in? <laughs> well, as you can tell from my beige sweater, and I'm really looking forward to grayish, which is gray and beige together. Mm-hmm. Do you see my nail polish color? Gray and beige. Had a baby. <laughs> so there, it's like the little things right now that, which sounds so cliched, that give me joy. Like being able to do ballet again, or watching some completely random show on Netflix that I did not expect 
like this weekend has been all about Formula One racing. <laughs> wow. There's a lot to unpack there if we want to. <laughs> Didn't expect that, but yes. But, you know, and this brings me to something else that brought me joy, but also really made me think recently. And that is, are you ready for it? Mm. Remember the Titans. I know that movie. Yeah. Okay. So for those of you who have not seen this movie, you need to stop listening to this episode, watch the movie, and then restart. We'll still be here because it's that good of a movie. But, and you always know, I've got a larger point here. So my point here in bringing up Remember the Titans, though, is not to talk about how we all need a coach boon in our life at times, which, you know, side point, we probably do. My point here is to talk about the specific scene that happens part of the way through the movie. So just a quick recap. Remember the Titans is the story of a black football coach who's played by Denzel Washington in one of my favorite roles that he's been in. It's so memorable. I can actually picture his face as Coach Boone, like speaking on the field. Yes, absolutely. Right. So he takes over for a white coach in a high school that has very recently been announced that it's going to be integrated. And this is clearly happening in the South, right? During the civil rights era. And the white coach that he took over for stays on as like defensive coordinator, which is, you know, a whole storyline in and of itself. But part of coach Boone slash Denzel Washington's role is to make sure that the football team itself is integrated in a way that allows them to play football and not just hate each other based on ignorance, because you've got Black kids now joining what had been a totally white football team. So before the season starts, they all go to football camp together at Gettysburg College. And there, Coach Boone tries a whole bunch of different tactics to get the boys to get past skin color and see the true humanity in each other. And one of those tactics was to assign them to talk to someone of the opposite race each day until they've talked to everyone on the team who's not their race. And some of those vignettes about that oh, yeah. are really, really funny. Yeah. Yes. Super good scene. The music one in particular. But the scene that really stands out for me is when he gets everyone out of bed in the middle of the night and tells them that they're going for a run in the woods. And they run to the location of the Battle of Gettysburg. And Coach Boone stands there. And he tells them, and I had to like look this whole speech up because I wanted to make sure I got it right. He says, anybody know what this place is? This is Gettysburg. This is where they fought the Battle of Gettysburg. 50,000 men died right here on this field, fighting the same fight that we are still fighting amongst ourselves today. This green field right here was painted red, bubbling with the blood of young boys, smoke and hot lead pouring right through their bodies. Listen to their souls, men. I killed my brother with malice in my heart. Hatred destroyed my family. You listen and you take a lesson from the dead. If we don't come together right now on this hallowed ground, we too will be destroyed just like they were. I don't care if you like each other or not, but you will respect each other. Take a breath. <laughs> that is powerful, right? Okay, so the question you might be asking yourself is why am I reciting this speech besides the fact that clearly it's an amazing speech and I love it so much? And the answer is because we are in this same place right now. We've been here throughout the past five years. And while people have chosen to look away, believing that things are better in 2021, they're not. 
And so I think that recent news really indicates that to be true. Girl, you're just going to take me from that moment of joy into like (laughs) depression. I know, but I had to like, remember joy and grief. We're working on the spectrum. Just leave me with some hope at the end, will you? Okay. Thank you. This is your 2021 wake up call, everyone. Okay. Yes. I think we need it. Okay. Let's do this. I'm here to learn. I'm here to listen. I'm with you. Let's go. I've got my armor on. Okay. So first a disclaimer, because we are recording this at the end of September. It's going to come out a week later, but because this is very current news, some of the facts in this story may have already changed. That said, all of these facts are important. So let's start with September 20th of this year. On September 20th, 2021, CNN revealed a bombshell story from Bob Woodward and Robert Costa's upcoming book. And that story was that there is a six-point memo from pro-Trump lawyer John Eastman laying out a plan for then-Vice President Mike Pence to steal the 2020 election for Trump. So like a how-to plan. Yes. And I think we should all just take that in for a second, because there is a memo in which it clearly outlines how this election is to be stolen by Pence for Trump. Okay. So as noted by the amazing letters from an American, the memo started by falsely claiming that seven states had sent competing slates of electors to the president of the Senate. In fact, Trump loyalists demanded their own electors, but each state had certified one official state of electors. Now, can we get a, just a really quick 101 on the competing state slate of electors and how these electors play into it? Just really quick. Because the electors are the people who actually cast the votes for president right? Like we have electors in our sort of convoluted political system. We have the electors who actually count, you know, when you see those CNN maps, right, for elections, the electors are the votes that are actually being counted, right? It's not the population. And those are real people. Yes, those are real people. They represent segments of the population, but you have all of your electors in a state have to go one way or the other, right? But these electors are the people who will be casting their votes. And so what you said was each state had already said, these are all of our electors. Mm -hmm. And this memo starts, but this memo says, actually, these electors, we want these other guys instead. That's what you're saying. That's what they falsely claimed. Right. They claimed that. But in reality, it was really just pro-Trump supporters who had demanded their own electors, even though those states had already certified. Okay an official slate, right? So if Pence didn't want to handle it and he recused himself, the then Senate president pro tempore, who was Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley at the time, rejected those ballots from those seven states because of this, you know, competing slate fabricated issue, as Eastman claimed, Trump would have 10 more electoral votes than Biden and would win the election. So basically, if you lie and you cast those seven states out, you have enough votes for Trump. That was the calculations that were made. So he didn't just leave it there, right? So obviously when this, you know, in this theory, right? If this were to happen, then the Democrats would be really pissed off, right? Because- Because it's lie. They'd probably realize, right, that that's not true. So if that happened, Pence could then say that neither candidate had a majority. Like, all right, you have an issue with this. Let's say neither candidate had a majority and then- We'll just let the House of Representatives decide, you know, where each state would get a single vote. 
in the House of Representatives, right, since 26 of the 50 states were dominated by Republicans, Trump would win there too. And Eastman wrote about this, the fact is that the Constitution assigns this power to the vice president as the ultimate arbiter. We should take all of our actions with that in mind. So he's looking at Mike Pence to do something that's not only, I mean, morally wrong, but like just a straight up lie to change the election results to guarantee that Trump will win. Wow. Right. So. Trump lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, you might have heard of him, Mm -hmm. tried to convince Republican Senator Lindsey Graham might have heard of him of South Carolina to back the scheme. Someone also ran the idea past Republican Senator Mike Lee of Utah. Both dismissed it. But and there's a but here. Notably, neither of them actually told anyone that this was going to happen. So they knew ahead of time that this plan was there. They just didn't tell anyone. So I think we should like, this is a lot. We should just stop there for a second and ask, are we going to destroy each other? Are we going to passively sit by and watch while others destroy us? Okay. So when Pence ultimately refused to go along, Trump turned on him. And this is where the insurrection gets a lot worse than what you thought the insurrection was about. Trump turned on him and told attendees at the January 6th Stop the Steal rally that if Mike Pence does the right thing, we win the election. Woo! Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. So there is a whole other layer of what Mike Pence could have potentially been doing, not just actually. Oh, my gosh, this makes a lot of. Hmm. Right. The right thing was actually not just, you know, doing whatever. Right. It was very clearly laid out what the right thing was, which involved obviously lies and deceit and more lies. I'm shaking my head. That makes it so scary. Right? It does. So Trump says, and he explained at that rally that, quote, the number one or certainly one of the top constitutional lawyers in our country had offered a plan. And also that, quote, Mike Pence is going to have to come through for us, end quote. Makes those words seem a lot more scary right now, right? Than even when you heard about it after the insurrection. That's really so true. Yeah. So, okay, back to this memo. Aside from like the obvious just insanity and like, you know, that emoji where your head blows, the top part of your head blows off, right? Like that feeling. Eastman's memo has three, you know, raises a lot of points, but there's three that sort of stand out. And this is also from Letters from an American. First, it refers to the idea that Pence might have handed over the count to Grassley, which is a plan, right? Or that theory that needs more investigation, you know, like- in Eastman's memo, was this a real plan and how was that plan going to work? Okay, so second, Eastman's memo also relies on the work of emeritus Professor Emeritus from Harvard Law School named Lawrence Tribe, who tweeted that it took snippets of his work out of context to create a totally fake web of law that no halfway decent lawyer would take seriously. He also said this was ludicrous, but scary as hell. Think 2024 these guys mean business, right? And Lawrence Tribe, if you follow him on Twitter, he's not pro-Trump at all. In fact, very actively against Trump. So it's kind of interesting, but they needed in this plan some way, some theory, right? Some legitimacy. So why not go with a, you know, former Harvard Law School professor? 
And this Lawrence tribe was that, quote, top constitutional lawyer, air quote, like that Trump had referred to in the talk, maybe? Or was he talking about the lawyer who drafted this horrific? No, Eastman. He was talking about Eastman. All right. So point three, it debunks the current right wing talking point that Trump wanted only to question the results of the election. Right. I think we can see from this memo that he wanted to win. He wasn't just in it to see like, oh, are our elections actually being you know, held in a constitutional manner? He didn't care about that. He was willing to go around the Constitution, actually, to win. Mm. For all those people who are like, Constitution says, like, he was circumventing this document that so many people hold dear. Yeah. So for everyone who's like hugging the Constitution right now, I think we should look at how it was potentially just totally thrown to the side. All right. So, you know, as we've probably heard a lot in the news recently, even after now we have a new president, right? President Biden. Even after he's been sworn in, Trump supporters continue to insist that the election had been fraudulent. I think the stop the steal. Yes. You know, we hear it all the time. It's out there. Yeah. So, like, let's take one instance of it that's been in the news. Arizona and the cyber ninjas. Right. For example, the company who, you know, was hired to reexamine the votes from Maricopa County, although the county board of supervisors, a majority of whom notably our Republicans had already audited the ballots and the machines and had found no problems. So they actually strongly opposed this new audit. And I'm putting like audit in air quotes because what? You hire a group called the Cyber Ninjas? Anyway, the Cyber Ninjas examined ballots for bamboo to see if China had hacked the election. Like, you know, way they did <laughs> not. They did. <laughs> I'm actually, this is from news sources. Yes. Like that. I actually trust. (laughs) Wow. I mean, you know, when you hire a reputable company, you're heavily air quoting that too. Uh, That's like a whole new level of quote, China flu Mm -hmm. propaganda, stereotyping BS that we're reading. Right. Are you seeing? Yes. I understand China is a political threat, right? But I think we have bigger problems on the inside to be on this election front right now. Anyway, so not only did they do that, but they used insecure practices as the shocker, rejected observers, and finally sent voting information to Montana for analysis. Because what do you do when one county, local counties votes are being challenged? You send it out of state. Hmm. No, like you don't, you don't do that. Documents released by the state Senate under a court order in late August revealed that groups backed by pro-Trump loyalists Michael Flynn, Sidney Powell, and two correspondents from the One American News Network paid for the Arizona investigation. So what? Like, is that normal for like one extreme view of a party to pay for something like this? No, I mean, who challenges this? I mean, a certified electoral, like, yeah, especially when the state Senate is like, no. There's been no proof. So I feel like this reminds me of the conversation we had with the QAnon team, like Mm -hmm. that conversation about QAnon and how it's become faith based as opposed to logic based. And you can't actually convince people who are in this sort of deep, mythical, mysterious state of believing that there was a fraud, because even if you prove facts to them, they're just going to find alternative, even more radical explanations for why their belief is true. And what's terrifying is that these people have money and power. Yeah, clearly they, it was basically four people who paid for this Arizona investigation, right? So not surprisingly, well, actually, fortunately in mid-September, the Arizona Supreme Court ruled that the state Senate and the cyber ninjas had to release the records concerning their activities. 
cyber ninjas were refusing basically to do so, offering as a reason among others that it was busy writing its report, which was already four months late at that time. And document production would take time away from that effort. Mm -hmm. Its lawyer said that it will produce documents out of goodwill and its commitment to transparency when it had time, but didn't actually recognize any legal obligation to do so. And yet sounds to me like, I mean, are they just going to be buying this time to come up with another layer of fraud to hide the next level of accusations? I mean, they have the documents. I mean, what do people do when you get caught in a lie? Right. You have to create a bigger lie to get yourself out of the other lie. Right. And yet, though, on the evening of September 23rd, the report from Cyber Ninjas was released to news outlets. And the report at the time that we're you know, recording this is still a mess, right? And it still continues to insist that the Arizona election processes are flawed. But, and this is a really important but, it says that Biden did indeed win Maricopa County and thus Arizona by a higher margin than previously counted. So like, will they believe that this state went to Biden and oops, we actually made a mistake undercounting the votes for Biden. Yeah. So you can imagine a whole host of people, starting with Donald Trump, who was not happy to hear that. And immediately, the office of the Texas Secretary of State announced that it had started to conduct a full forensic audit of the 2020 election in four Texas counties, Collin, Dallas, Harris, and Tarrant. I think it's pronounced Tarrant. Tarrant. Okay. I think you're probably right. You know, I think my in-laws live in Texas. (laughs) I think Yeah, you probably know better than I do. All right. So this is really interesting timing, though, especially since there has been no accusation about fraud in the election in those counties. So this just appeared like out of nowhere a year after the election. They're just suddenly going to conduct an audit. And even like Trump loyalist Texas Governor Greg Abbott has called the election in his state smooth and secure. But after Maricopa County and the Cyber Ninjas report, Trump had demanded in a public letter that Abbott must conduct an audit of the election because of fraud and heavy air quotes in the count. So which he won, basically. And we're not done with just Texas, though, because seeking an Arizona type audit in Pennsylvania, Republicans in that state's legislature voted to issue subpoenas for personal information of close to seven million state voters including names, addresses, birth dates, driver's license numbers, and the last four digits of social security numbers. What could go wrong? I know. That's a lot of personal information. Hmm. Republicans say a private company needs that information to fix issues in election procedures uncovered in 2020. But I know this is going to be surprising to you, Sarah. The Republican leader of the investigation has declined to say how that information will be used. Democrats sued to stop the release of the voter information and two Democratic representatives to Congress have asked the Department of Justice to investigate whether the subpoenas could violate federal laws by, not surprisingly, leading to voter intimidation. So (laughs) are you in the fetal position yet? Kind of like that's Arizona, Texas, Pennsylvania, like and all of these individually are enough, but taken together, it's terrifying. And I mean, I think about how hard we work to protect all of our private information and how many people have pushed to like, you know, the Patriot Act, like all these arguments we've had over the years about what information should be private or not. 
but why should this information go to a private company? Mm-hmm. Like it's not the government that we're trusting our social security numbers with. You're talking about a private company and we've seen how that goes. We've seen data breaches. We've seen this over and over again. I want to cry. Like, I feel like my throat is closing up a little bit and I'm not so excited about this information. And I'm really hoping you're going to get to the freaking hope part soon, because right now I feel like we are heavily screwed. We've got to go a little more towards grief before we go to hope. All right. So all of this, right. All of these like very nebulous claims of fraud and looking at changing procedures for election reform, right. It's the next question that someone might be asking is what is this election reform that, you know, that the Republicans are looking for. And so There's a new story, though, that kind of illuminates what that reform might be. So if you remember, on May 6th of 2021, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, you know, raised a whole lot of eyebrows when he signed a new election law in front of TV cameras for the Fox News channel. Remember, closed doors, like excluding all other media. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. While Republicans insisted that they wrote those new election laws to prevent voter fraud, despite, again, any evidence of actual fraud, because who needs, I don't know, truth or evidence these days. Internal emails and text messages from Florida Republicans revealed in a political article show that their concerns were actually about gaining advantage in the 2022 elections. So basically, it's not surprising But it's terrifying that I'm sure you're about to tell us that there's evidence of this. So Joe Gruters, the state senator who chairs the Florida Republican Party, I just thought I'd jump right into the evidence, repeatedly said in public that the new bill would, quote, make it as easy as possible to vote and hard as possible to cheat, end quote. But in private text exchanges with state representative Blaze Ingoglia, the former chair of the Florida Party, Gruters called for getting rid of existing mail-in ballot requests saying that keeping them would be devastating since Democrats use them more frequently than Republicans. We cannot make up ground, Gruters wrote. Trump campaign spent 10 million, could not cut down lead. And Goglia told Politico, this was a policy decision all along and had nothing to do with partisan reasons. (laughs) Bullshit. (laughs) Right. I think we've got some, you know, text messages and emails that say otherwise. And I think This next thing. okay, we're still like a little bit spiraling downward. Wait, I need everyone listening to just be like, we're not dead. We're okay. We're going to make it through. We have something to do because like this is heavy. This is reality. And you're not a QAnon supporter if you're listening to this, presumably. But this is reality. And we have to do something. Don't sit here listening to this being like, I can't do anything. This is out of my control and feel helpless because otherwise we're all going to spiral. And like, it's really bad. So. Yeah. Well, I think that also if you have been seeing these news stories pop up, right, but haven't really been paying to them, uh, paying attention to them besides saying like, wow, that's shitty or that doesn't make sense. But if you're not seeing the through line to everything, this is why this episode is so important, because it points to a much bigger and organized plan. Right. Because for his part, Trump doesn't want to wait until 2022 and that election for a change in government. You know, he's already written to Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, charging that 43,000 Georgia ballots were invalid. He's called for Raffensperger to decertify the 2020 election and announce the true winner. Those are in his words, warning that the nation is, quote, being systemically destroyed by an illegitimate president and his administration, end quote. But like, If there are elections coming next year, why does he need this now? And that is the real question. He can't actually permit the big lie to die 
right? Especially as investigations around it heat up, because remember, there are a lot of people right now looking at what happened on January 6th. And so Texas, for one, is obliging him, not because there is doubt about the election, but because he needs to keep his supporters convinced that our elections are fraudulent. That conviction will you know, be real handy in 2022. But what if there is a more immediate and more terrifying reason? Yeah, but wait, there's more. <laughs> I know. Well, remember that memo that we started this episode talking about? That memo that Trump loyalist John Eastman you know, wrote and laid out the steps that the Trump administration was taking to overturn the 2020 election? That was written proof that the former president and key members of his inner circle were trying to undermine and destroy American democracy. So if Trump is anything like we know Trump to be, and I think he's exactly like how we know Trump to be, as the evidence right of this conspiracy mounts, he will continue to push his loyalists to back his bid to regain power based on the big lie. Right. According to a new poll by the University of Chicago, 26 percent of Americans now believe that, quote, the 2020 election was stolen from Donald Trump and Joe Biden is an illegitimate president. And scarier, 8 percent believe that, quote, use of force is justified to restore Donald Trump to the presidency. Eight percent is many millions of people in our country. That is a lot of people who think that we should be having a physical uprising. Oh, kind of like January 6th with a taste of. Mm -hmm. Okay. One more thing. There is this truly frightening yet soberingly accurate op-ed piece that Robert Kagan wrote in the Washington Post that came out this past week or sort of mid-September called Our Constitutional Crisis is Already Here. The whole piece is worth reading and sharing with all of your friends, and we will link this in our show notes. But here is the part that is really crucial to understand right now. And so I'm just going to read his words. The events of January 6th, on the other hand, proved that Trump and his most diehard supporters are prepared to defy constitutional and democratic norms, just as revolutionary movements have in the past. While it might be shocking to learn that normal, decent Americans can support a violent assault on the Capitol, it shows that Americans as a people are not as exceptional as their founding principles and institutions. Europeans who joined fascist movements in the 1920s and the 1930s were also from the middle classes. No doubt many of them were good parents and neighbors, too. People do things as part of a mass movement that they would not do as individuals especially if they are convinced that others are out to destroy their way of life. All right. He continues. It would be foolish to imagine that the violence of January 6th was an aberration that will not be repeated because Trump supporters see those events as a patriotic defense of the nation. There is every reason to expect more such episodes. Trump has returned to the explosive rhetoric of that day, insisting that he won in a quote landslide that the radical left Democrat communist party stole the presidency in the most corrupt, dishonest, and unfair election in the history of our country, and that they have to give it back. He targeted for defeat those Republicans who voted for his impeachment or criticized him for his role in the riot. Already, there have been threats to bomb polling sites, kidnap officials, and attack state capitals. You and your family will be killed very slowly, the wife of Georgia's top election official was texted earlier this year. Nor can one assume that the three percenters and oath keepers would again play a subordinate role 
when the next riot unfolds. And I think it's really crucial that he says when, not if. Veterans who assaulted the Capitol told police officers that they had fought for their country before and were fighting for it again. Looking ahead to 2022 and 2024, Trump insists there is no way they win elections without cheating. There's no way. So if the results come in showing another Democratic victory, Trump's supporters will know what to do. Just as generations of patriots gave their sweat, their blood, and even their very lives to build America, Trump tells them. So today, we have no choice. We have to fight to restore our American birthright. And one last thing, and this is perhaps the crux of the entire problem. According to Robert Kagan, we are already in a constitutional crisis. The destruction of democracy might not come until November 2024, but critical steps in that direction are happening now. In little more than a year, it may become impossible to pass legislation to protect the electoral process in 2024. Now it is impossible only because anti-Trump Republicans and even some Democrats refuse to tinker with the filibuster. It is impossible because despite all that has happened, some people still wish to be good Republicans, even as they oppose Trump. These decisions will not wear well as the nation tumbles into full-blown crisis. And I don't think it's overstating to say this is not, and this is now my words, not his, this is not what will happen. This is what is already happening. And I think that we cannot say that enough. I'm like nodding. Are you still there? (laughs) Like I am captivated and sitting with this being like, it's happening. And all that we've spoken about being in history right now, this is a crucial moment in our nation's history that will be written about regardless of which side we are on. Like we have, and I hate that it's even a side or not, but our country's foundation is being undermined and eroded by people who are fooling others into thinking that they are working to protect it. And there's so many systems that are intertwined, whether it's the disparity in income and then disparity in education and disparity in opportunity. And all of these things have like created this moment that we are in now. And so many people who are full of hate and faith that Trump actually rightfully won the election are so loud. And the rest of us are so damn quiet. We just assume that the right the correctness, that the truth will come to light one day. But if we don't get loud, the squeaky wheel is going to get the oil and we will have changed and pivoted and undermined the foundations of our country. And I have no idea what kind of world our kids would be living in. Yeah. So, okay. So now we're on to the hope part. All right. So <laughs> Okay. Thank you. So hearing all of this, right, as you're putting your head back together, what can you do? First of all, share this with all of your friends right? Get involved in any local and national voting rights protection organizations that you can. Write letters. And you know what? Put this all on social media. Vote yourselves. Do all of this often. And like you said, Sarah, be loud about it because you can be really sure that that side that insists that this was a sham election and to stop the steal and our current president is an illegitimate president is really loud. As you pointed out, they are so loud. So that's what we should be doing. But what can't we do? We can't look away anymore. Okay, we can't pretend that January 6th won't happen again. We can't pretend, and this is personally terrifying to me, we can't pretend that Trump won't be the 2024 presidential candidate if we allow the stop the steal lie to continue. All right, so what is a good first step other than those action steps that might be a little bit bigger? Abolishing the filibuster. 
Because remember, what is impossible right now that is blocking us from passing legislation to protect the electoral process? The filibuster. And as the amazing weekly newsletter, Citizen Well points out, and as a recap, here's what's at stake if we don't abolish the filibuster. Immigration reform, the For the People Act, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, reproductive rights, gun control, Medicare for all, a Green New Deal, a $15 minimum wage, and if that wasn't enough, democracy as we believe it does or should exist in America. It's really, it's progress or it's the filibuster. So make your voice heard and demand action with the filibuster by calling Congress. And I'm going to say the phone numbers, but we'll put them in our show notes at 202-224-3121 or call the White House at 202-456-1111 or your senators or local representatives. And once you're done with that, you need to stay loud because we are standing on the battlefield at Gettysburg right now. Except this time, it looks a hell of a lot like the insurrection on January 6th, the lies and division of the past five years, and the inaction on both sides to reach across the aisle and find common ground so that we can survive. Because we either stand together now or we too will be destroyed. You're still here learning how to uproot systemic racism one conversation at a time. Our fresh news, we have a brand new book that's available for pre-order. So find us on bookshop.org at Dear White Women and order. And then make sure you follow the Dear White Women podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts so you can keep getting the newest episodes each Wednesday. And don't forget to rate and review us as you share our show with your friends. Follow us on Instagram at Dear White Women Podcast and Twitter at DWW Podcast. And if you love us, support our Patreon or look for ways you can bring us into your place of employment or circle of influence for a talk or ask us about our webinars and consulting work. Thanks for being here. <laughs>